Hello and welcome to the Wellness Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Taff, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Neve Orbinski. Neve is a certified intuitive eating counselor, and we're talking all about emotional eating. This has so much insights, so much tips, and so much lessons in why we can emotionally eat, how to overcome it, and little things that you can do day to day to help. Neve, she shares such great content around food and your relationship with food. So if it's something that you're struggling with or you'd like to learn more about, then this episode is definitely going to help you. And if you enjoy, as always, let me know. But for now, let's get into the episode. Neve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we get into it, would you mind telling everyone a bit about yourself, a bit about what you do, um, and then we can get into our content? Yeah, great. Uh, firstly, I apologize for my snuffy nose. Um, so if I sound a bit <laughs> a bit unlike myself, that's why. Um, so my name is Neve Robinski. I am a nutritionist, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a yoga teacher. And I specialize in intuitive eating, disordered eating, and body image work. So I primarily work with people who struggle with their relationship with food and body image. And um, what I do is best described as nutrition counseling or food and body image therapy, where I'm combining nutritional science with um, psychotherapy. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, um, it's very psychological work what I do um but really I guess I believe that we can't truly embrace healthy eating without first having a healthy relationship with food and a healthy foundation around our mindset with food and unfortunately many many of us have a tested relationship with food and body image um and it's more common than we think it is yeah for sure and we um for everyone listening myself and Neve did a workshop um, a good few months ago at this stage, but we did it all around emotional eating and you shared some brilliant tools to help people, I suppose, identify whether they are emotional eating and um, how to kind of navigate that. Because I think it's something, not that there's ever anything wrong with emotional eating, food is emotional, but to, to be able to help us kind of navigate it. And I put up a question box as well to ask some of the guys listening to this what they would love help with. And again, it was emotional eating and just how to navigate it. So it's like you said, it's something that we all kind of can relate to. And our relationship with food, wow, I think like my relationship with food has been a work in progress for years and years. It it probably never really ends. Mm, Yeah, I think because it's so it can be so vulnerable primarily I think because especially as women and I say women but men are affected by um, poor relationship with food too but we are being projected all of these messages constantly from diet culture that tell us that we are not enough as we are and we're sold these solutions in order to improve or tone or tuck or enhance our bodies and usually those solutions require a change in diet in some way. So as long as there is, um, I guess, uh, a lack of protection from the messages from diet culture, we can't remove diet culture from our society. It's everywhere. We're swimming in it. Um, and um, it can really affect our relationship with food. But we can um, buffer ourselves against it. So I think really until we develop those skills that allow us to critically analyze the messages that we're receiving from diet culture, our relationships with food as a whole are going to be quite um, <laughs> challenged, let's say. Um, but once you get to that place where you do develop those coping strategies, you do heal your relationship with food, you have much more resiliency to kind of ride with the waves of pressure. So like as a woman, you might experience pressure when, you know, let's say you uh, get older. So like what myself and my friends recently were talking about how we're all nearly 30 now. Our bodies are different than they were when we were 21 and that's okay and completely normal but diet culture tells us that we have to always look the same right it could also happen when a woman goes through pregnancy 
or when they hit menopause, they go through stressful periods um, and any change is deemed by diet culture as a really bad thing in the body. So as long as we can buffer or at least what I call ride the wave and not get pulled underneath the wave, we can protect ourselves from, um, you know, falling into this trap of a poor relationship with food once we did that initial healing work. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose if we look at emotional eating, I remember when we did the workshop, you started off by talking us through the causes of emotional eating. What are they? So first one is physical or mental restriction. So this comes from, let's say, if, okay, red flag diet culture, it all comes from diet culture, but um, if you're not eating enough food, firstly, first thing out the gate, you need to make sure that you're eating enough food because what happens if we don't eat enough food is that the body will react by sending out lots of hormones, particularly ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, and neuropeptide Y, which I call the carb fairy hormone. So, you know, those little cravings that you get for like pizza and croissants and cereal and like white bread, real starchy carbs. That is your little carb fairy hormone telling you that you're not getting enough food. And so that's really important from the from the get go is just to eat enough and satisfy your needs. And unfortunately, I think our idea of enough is much less than it actually is because of diet culture. Then you've also got, you know, certain restrictions around food. Um, so let's say um, you don't eat chocolate from Monday to Friday, but you allow yourself to have it at the weekend. That's a form of physical restriction. It can result in emotional eating or feeling like it's emotional eating, let's say. And then you have um, mental restriction. A mental restriction has the same impact as physical restriction. Mental restriction will show up in ways such as allowing yourself to have the food, but believing that you're a bad person for eating that food or allowing yourself to have that food, but putting certain limits on it. So I'm allowing myself the piece of cake, but just one slice. So immediately the mind is um, detecting this scarcity mindset and it can react then um, by, um, I guess, wanting that food more and that can feel like emotional eating. So restriction as a whole is that number one um, first reason to look at. Then you have number two, which is lack of self-care practices. And myself and Robin were just laughing before we came into this call because I call Robin the self-care queen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and self-care is such an important part of buffering against emotional overeating. Like it's so key. I can't stress that enough. Um, when our needs are not being met in multiple areas of our life, food can come in to fix the issue or to soothe. And food is often not the correct solution to the need. And therefore that emotional overeating will persist, right? Because the need is not being met. And I often tell clients that Emotional eating is not inherently in and of itself a bad thing, but if our coping strategies are lacking and food is our only or default coping strategy, um, that's when it can become more problematic. And finally, third reason before we, I'm sure we've lots to talk about there, Robin, um, but third reason is um, struggling to cope with emotions or struggling to sit with feelings, lack of emotional regulation. And this is something that none of us are taught in school, at least. Um, I only really learned this as an adult when I started going to therapy and I started doing a lot of uh, research into um, mental health, emotional regulation um, for my clients firstly, but then realized, hmm, I should probably go to therapy myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're not taught these skills, you know, that that it's normal to experience a rainbow of emotions. And 
we need to really sit with the discomfort of certain emotions and allow them to pass through us. Because if we don't allow emotions to pass through us or we suppress them or push them away, they do not go away. They will come out in some other form. That could be through um, uh, emotional overeating. It could be through, you know, um, aggressive outbursts. It could be through withdrawal. It could be through physical disease as well. Um, So if you suppress an emotion, it has nowhere to go. And it will find its way outside the body at some stage. And usually it's... um, it doesn't look good when we do that. So three causes, restriction, lack of self-care and struggling to cope with emotions. There is a lot to unpack there. I feel like, and I know every one of you listening can relate to, to, to all of those areas. I was only um, thinking before, because I knew we were sitting down to record this around emotional eating. And I would be someone who, like, I'm really into self-care and it's been a big part of my health journey and how I've kind of been able to to become more well and and kind of change the direction of my health but I still very regularly let my self-care fall below what it needs to be and for the last few months there's been stuff going on in life that I didn't really have any control over and I let my self-care tools also fall below what I what I needed and food was there food was Mm. a way that I coped and I but I I wasn't aware that I was doing it for a while Mm. like I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that I was kind of you know like picking at at food randomly and like like you said, even when when you said about not eating properly, like not having your breakfast, your lunch and your dinner, skipping breakfast and then tiny snack for lunch and then the whole press, you, you nearly yeah. eat in the evening. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me was trying not to beat myself up over and be like, look, it's okay. You were going through a tough time and food is an okay like food is emotional and sometimes when when stuff's going on it's lovely to have that takeaway and it's lovely to have the the glass of wine or the ice cream but like you say if it's your only coping strategy that's when you probably need to say okay maybe we need to 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 broaden the things you do to self-soothe and I love that word soothe because that's what it's about it's you you feel that you need to feel soothed and less uncomfortable yeah, and ripping food away and being very self-critical is not a good solution to emotional eating. It really isn't. Um, and uh, often when I talk about healing emotional eating, we are trying to expand our toolkit, trying to become more consciously aware of what's going on within and and outside of ourselves as well that could be affecting what's going on within we will all emotionally eat at times sometimes more than others and the important thing is to not be you know to berate yourself or put yourself down but to approach it with this attitude of compassion and curiosity and ask yourself what's going on for you right now what do you need that you're not getting and I know that you talk a lot about this as well, Robin, but I often talk about inner child work when I'm talking about emotional eating, because if you can imagine that very young version of yourself, imagine a child, right, that has a need that needs to be met, we tend to be a lot more compassionate to children. So um, it can be really helpful to just ask that part of yourself, what do you need right now? What can I give you that would help with this? And that might be food, but can we add something in as well? So for me, journaling is the most amazing tool. I have in my toolkit for emotional regulation. If I'm feeling any uncomfortable emotion, my journal is God. Yeah. <laughs> like it is just, you know, get it out on a piece of paper. Maybe I can have my, you know, bar chocolate or whatever it is I want with it but I'm combining coping strategies and that's what can really help with um I guess lessening the dependency on food as a coping strategy because at the end of the day it's giving you something if you are constantly turning to food Mm -hmm. yeah journaling 
I I apt I I love it as a tool and like a lot of people ask me all the time I don't like I'm not good at journaling I don't know what to do with a journal there are no rules for a journal like it it could be as, as simple as opening a page and just writing down how you're feeling writing down something that's kind of causing you to feel stressed or uncomfortable and it it all it creates this like connection with how you're feeling and this awareness so like like you talk a lot about as well the importance of naming your emotions you you get a bigger lens and you can see things whereas when everything's kept in your head it's very hard to to separate it and to actually know what's going on for you yeah um it's so uh it can be so mumbled and jumbled up in your mind and um myself and one of my friends we have this joke with journaling where when it's in black and white you can never go back (laughs) so like when it's on a page you can actually admit to yourself do you know what I am feeling shame or I am feeling anger or I am feeling sadness right now and that's okay whatever is there is okay it will pass it's not permanent it's all temporary but we often can suppress right when we don't get it out of our own minds because we live in a world that values suppression. We have to suppress all of the time because we have kids and jobs and responsibilities and friends and family. Um, And that time with your journal is, you know, it's just, oh, I can't even talk about it enough because I love it so much and it's really helped me through challenging times. Um, And like that, I'm the same, Robin, especially if it's emotional regulation that I'm using it for. I will just open a page and I'll just start writing. There is zero rules. Nobody is ever going to read it back except me if I want to. Um, And it's really fascinating actually to go back through journal entries and see how we like, we ride this wave of emotion where some days we're like really down in the dumps and then the other day we're delighted with ourselves and then the next day we're kind of meh. And it's, it's fascinating because you can see how we move through these different emotional states. And that can really help with emotional regulation itself because you're learning through your own experiences that every emotion that you experience is temporary and it will pass. Oh, absolutely. And if you have a client who you're, you're kind of suggesting that they should maybe have a try of journaling to help them, do you give them prompts or do you just say to them, look, I want you to just start writing down the feelings at the time or what's going on for you or how do you advise them to start? Um, it depends what I'm suggesting the journaling for. So if a client is dealing with, um, you know, very, like let's say distress, I will usually say just brain dump because it doesn't really matter what prompts you use when we journal or write we access a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that you need for logic and rationality now for anyone who has been in an emotionally distressing period of their lives which is all of us you will know that it's very difficult to access that part of the brain when you're emotionally activated So through writing, we shut down the amygdala, which is this little tiny part of the brain just underneath the the kind of the back of the head that fires out all of these um, signals, right? And we turn on the prefrontal cortex. So even just that process of writing helps us, scientifically helps us to gain more rationality and gain more clarity over what's going on. So that's why I would say just brain dump, doesn't matter. If somebody is trying to get more in touch with their emotions, which is always a first step when I'm talking about healing emotional overeating, um, I would give them some prompts and they'll be very simple. Um, How am I feeling today? Are there any um, physical sensations in the body at the moment? And I would just start there. I would just say, just answer these two questions, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe during the day, any time that you can fit it in. I'm not really fussy. Um, because even if somebody does this check-in and they realize that they're not feeling anything, they are improving that connection to the self through just asking themselves those two questions. 
And often, actually, if somebody hasn't been suppressing their emotions for quite some time, it might take them quite some time to reconnect with those emotions um, for your emotions to feel safe enough to come to the surface. Because if we have suppressed emotions for a long time and we haven't listened to them, they don't feel heard, right? And they just don't come up to the surface as easily because we've done so much work to suppress them. Um, I also suggest um, alongside journaling, yoga meditation is king for this kind of connection work, um, especially in yoga um, or restorative practices, any type of yoga, but uh, again, it's informed by my own my own experiences of being a yoga teacher. And, you know, there will be times where I will go into a yoga class and I think that I'm fine. I'm pretty content. There's nothing really going on for me. And then I lie down and I breathe for about two minutes and I realize, oh, there's a bit of a knot in my chest or my heart is beating a little bit fast. And suddenly I'm gaining more access to what's going on in the body which is then giving me more access to labeling my emotions and understanding what message my emotions are trying to tell me, because that's what emotions are. They are messengers. They are trying to deliver something to you. Um, and even the uncomfortable ones, um, as I was just talking to a client this morning about this, I was telling her how even uncomfortable emotions, like let's say anger, they all have a purpose. So anger might be trying to deliver the message of, I don't know, having to stand up for yourself or having to communicate something to somebody. Or maybe it's communicating the fact that you need to set, you need to set a boundary with somebody or with yourself. So even though it's really uncomfortable, there is so much juicy stuff to be learnt in these experiences when we have these emotions. And I actually think that's really exciting because imagine how much better we can make our lives if we just listen to our emotions and give them space to come up to the surface. Oh, and I love what you said there as well about the, the not really knowing how you're feeling until you, you stop and give yourself a bit of space to actually allow it to come up. Um, like mm. the amount of times I've gone into uh, a, therapy session and I'm like I actually don't think I need this today and that they're the days where I yeah <laughs> like all the shit comes out I'm crying the whole time everything comes up but I suppose because we're also really busy a lot and we're we're very used to pushing everything down that we can just switch off from from feeling all of those things and it's why I do the classes it's why I have visualizations it's why like like you I love teaching about journaling and stuff because having that space in your life where you stop and check in with yourself and allow all of that stuff to come up it is vital to your mental well-being and also to your physical because as you said the more we hold in the more it does manifest in physical symptoms and, and not feeling well um, so I love that a big one for me was I never let myself cry like I would always mm -hmm. feel really uncomfortable crying oh, I don't know I, I just felt like oh embarrassed if I was getting upset and I would push it down and push it down and then you know yourself all of a sudden there'd be something like I'd be watching like some mildly sad movie and I'd be crying for hours and I'd be like okay that's just mm -hmm. a load of shit that I haven't let come up in a long mm -hmm. time so just mm -hmm. giving yourself that permission, like even now, if I'm watching something or if I'm listening and, you know, if you feel the tear coming on instead of being like, no, don't cry. I'm like, it's OK. If you want to cry, you can cry. Yeah, it's OK. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that because I just had a conversation with somebody about this recently, about how we don't allow ourselves or give ourselves permission to feel uncomfortable emotions because they haven't been valued for a lot of us in our lives because society does not value them as much as they value happiness or joy or excitement, right? But really we need to look at our, all of our emotions as neutral. And if you have not had anybody in your life that has given you permission to feel it can be very difficult to feel those feelings that were not allowed. 
this usually comes back to childhood work and childhood experiences. Um, but I often say um, that if there's somebody in your life who really struggles to sit with uncomfortable emotions, it's most likely because they struggle to sit with their own, right? So this is why as you know, psychotherapy trainees, we need to sit through a lot of shit mm. <laughs> through therapy because you need, uh, you know, when you do any kind of therapy, you need to be able to sit with really uncomfortable emotions that might feel unnatural to sit with because of how we all grew up. We've all been taught to suppress. So if that's the case, as it is for many people, for anyone listening here, you're, t- you're breaking a pattern by allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to feel those feelings. So it's a process. It's not something that just happens overnight, but it becomes easier and easier over time. And this is why therapy is so beneficial because not many people have other people in their lives who feel okay with sitting with sadness or sitting with grief or sitting with anger. And a therapist is trained to sit with those uncomfortable emotions. So they give you that little safe space where it's not going to come at you at the dinner table. Nobody's going to ask you about it, you know, on a night out. Um, It's this purely safe space for you to feel your feelings. And whenever any of my clients are really struggling with this, therapy, like therapy is so, so important if it is available. Yeah to you oh definitely um and I actually I was watching um I was on Instagram the other day and there's this really brilliant psychiatrist that I follow and she actually was talking about how if therapy is not something you have a means to go to the the one thing she recommends is journaling so like we were talking about she's like it is like a process that can be your safe space and somewhere where you can write down all of that that stuff and there's no judgment and there's no shame and there's no one invalidating what you're feeling um and I really liked that because obviously like therapy is not something that we can all get to but this is the power of a journal if you could even start there or if you're not comfortable with the idea of therapy starting with your journal and using that as a space you may get to a point where you're like you know what this this is helping me maybe I could benefit from talking to someone Oh, I love that so much. Um, and that's also something that I've really experienced journaling is this, this lack of judgment mm-hmm. because, and sometimes even my own judgment, right? I will notice when I'm journaling, wow, I'm getting, I'm really judging myself for writing this down, which is an interesting insight even in itself. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't even have to read it back if you don't want to, if, if, if that's, you know, step five for you to read back your journal entries, that's cool, right? It's just that process of getting it out. That's really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think the self-judgment thing, I probably judge myself, but we probably all judge ourselves way more than anyone else actually does. Um, mm. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you around emotional eating was how we can tell the difference between physical hunger versus emotional hunger so being able to pause and say is this my Mm. my physical body that needs fuel or is this an emotion or something that I need to look at and like you said self-soothe or use one of our tools yeah um so yeah there's a few different things to look out for so physical hunger is different to emotional hunger Physical hunger usually comes on gradually. So um, it progresses in nature, it progresses in intensity, and it's usually satisfied by eating something, anything, right? Emotional hunger is a little bit different in that it comes on suddenly, it feels like an urge, and it's usually um, only uh, that urge or that craving will be for very specific foods. So, you know, the foods that I often would hear people eat in response to um, emotions are chocolate, cakes, crisps, wine, things like that. It won't be enough just to have a salad, right? 
Um, and usually with emotional hunger, food doesn't satisfy us completely. So we'd be left with this feeling of, of lack of, you know, still that it could be like the sense of restlessness or, you know, like something hasn't been fully resolved. We won't tend to get that with physical hunger. With physical hunger, once we have a meal, we kind of tend to feel satisfied in and of itself. Um, so that's, they're like kind of the two main things to look out for. Physical hunger comes on gradually and can be postponed. Emotional hunger comes on urgently and requires very specific foods and food doesn't fully satisfy the need or we're not left with the sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I love that. And we both talk so much about then having your toolbox of things that you use and that could include things like your journal, meditation, yin yoga, um, meeting a co- friend for a coffee, getting out for a walk. Um, like I think probably one of the best things for our health and well-being in, in all areas is having that toolbox of things and the tools you use like I don't know about you but mine change all the time and go through phases like we had a reset class last week and a few of the ladies were saying I, I have I use a journal but I don't do it all the time like I'm not great at it I'm like there's some weeks where I might journal much at all and there's other weeks where I'm going through something that I could journal every day so it's allowing yourself that sometimes we have this kind of fixed mindset that if I'm not doing this regularly and all the time it's not a habit and it's not a good tool but that it doesn't have to be that way like oh my oh my god so 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 true um you know I have this amazing book and it's called self-care for tough times and it's a beautiful book by Susie Redding um and if anyone is going through a particularly challenging time right now you need this book like it is so good and I am I can resonate so much with that Robin because there are like if I'm going through something my journal is paramount like I will use my journal two three times a day if everything is kind of you know just everything's good life is good nothing major going on my journal could sit there and I might not use it for weeks Uh, and that's okay that is okay um and just like our periods in life uh, our self-care practices will undulate right they will they will move and shift and change and shape shift and sometimes we will need more self-care than others so during tough times we will need more self-care and that might mean more journaling right um, and that is okay we have this idea I think and this probably comes from hustle culture right and all or nothing mentality um, where everything has to be done a certain way perfectly all of the time in order to make an impact and that's just not the case oh it's yeah absolutely um and I even noticed like with different even with a meditation practice like I did my meditation teacher training and there's no set practice that I follow like sometimes I would use like a visualization if I if I really my mind's really busy and I just want to kind of reconnect and slow down a bit and others it may be my basic kind of breathwork practice mm-hmm. or whatever it is but all of it oh, I, the whole thing underpinning all of this is reconnecting with yourself and sometimes I say that and I'm like does that transfer as un, like when I say reconnect with yourself like does it make sense but that's what we mean it's like you said about connecting with yourself what you need what you underneath everything else needs um, and we've done a good few podcast episodes where we talk about the the fact that you are not your thoughts and your thoughts are not facts and all these these tools and practices help you develop that awareness of your mind and where it goes and come back to you underneath it that's that's why these things are so helpful yeah and I think for someone starting off you know I think of myself before I learned about you know I've been on years worth of a personal development journey um both personally and professionally and it's helpful to I guess seek support if you're a little bit lost as to what it means to check in with yourself so that could be going to one of your group classes Robin or attending one of your meditations or going to a local yoga class um these are all ways that can help you to dip your toe into this process of reconnecting with the self and one of the limbs of yoga there's eight limbs of yoga one of them is pratyahara 
and pratyahara basically means sense withdrawal so we are blocking out the senses and going within so asking yourself questions like where is the breath in the body what do i feel in, uh, like temperature on my skin today or you know how am i feeling emotionally mentally physically in the body and these are questions that we can ask ourselves to um, engage with pratyahara which is sense withdrawal so when you go into a yoga class these are all of the concepts that are being threaded through the class and that's why i recommend yoga and meditation as a really good tool to begin this process of reconnecting with the self yeah oh yeah i love you in yoga there's nothing like it to slow down um and i want to talk a little bit more about restriction and how mm -hmm. i know you mentioned it already but i think it's massive in terms mm -hmm. of um shaping like our how we eat and what we eat um and i know it's a pattern for me that I I always notice like I'll have the like it's so funny like me and my husband will sit down and we'll get a pizza and I look at him and he there is not an ounce of guilt he enjoys mm. every bite and he'll eat as much as he wants and he there's no thoughts will make him feel bad for enjoying that meal and I'm sitting there and I'm like well my my mind not me I'm so used to mm. saying that but um my mind is like okay, well, you're going to have to do an extra hard gym session tomorrow or have you done steps today to earn this? And you, that that narrative, is it's it kind of always there because it's always around us. But it then leads to the restriction the next day. I might not have a big breakfast or I'll try and reduce my food until later on. When we do that, and I know, I know you listening to this can relate to me when I talk about that because it's it's nearly ingrained in us from from growing up um the way we have around food and stuff but how does restriction really impact us and how do we start to, to get to shift away from that restriction mentality mm. around i know it's a lot of work but mm, yeah um <clears throat> well first off restriction creates scarcity and with anything in life, as a human being, if you can't have something, you instantly want that thing more. So think about, let's bring your mind back to 2020. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, uh, for those of you listening that are based in Ireland, we had a little bit of a, of a hiatus before Christmas. We were let out of lockdown and everyone just went a little bit batshit cray, right? So Grafton Street was insane. Shopping centers were insane. Um, you know, you couldn't get a booking at a restaurant um, or for drinks because everyone was making up for months worth of restriction. So suddenly people, put my hands up, I was one of those people, who didn't really like going out that much, you know, wasn't a big part of my life at all. Suddenly, all I wanted to do was go out for a night with girls, right? So this sense of scarcity means that when we actually got access to that thing that we weren't allowed to do, we did way more of it. And we all knew that once the new year would come, you know, the pandemic wasn't over. We didn't have a vaccine. We knew that we would eventually be put back into lockdown. So we have got a perfect storm here where we're making up for past restriction and there is a threat of future restriction. And that creates this uh, panic, right? Where we, we have to get it all in now because it's not going to be here forever. And it's the exact same with food. So in order for you to reduce emotional overeating, you need to remove the restriction. So I often say that the more intense the restriction, the more intense the craving, and the more intense the overeating. So in order for us to look at the overeating, which is a manifestation of many different things, one of those things being restriction, we need to remove the restriction. Now, for a lot of people, that can feel very scary at the beginning, especially if they feel out of control around food. 
But removing control, ironically, is the only way to get control back. And if this is something for anyone listening that feels really terrifying, if it's available to you, I highly, highly recommend that you get some support, some professional support, because it can just, the fear can be so big that people don't do it. And then they're stuck in this place of, just chained by their relationship with food and this will go on years decades I've seen it you know uh, from my clients who've been struggling with this for decades like it does not resolve itself unless it is resolved right um so restriction has such a huge impact on emotional overeating uh, on many things but on definitely on emotional overeating and it can be the thing that feels for some people like a protection when actually it's a cage in itself. Yeah. And I remember learning that that drive to overeat when you restrict. Because we, we do because we think we can control it all. But it's it's biological. It's not it's it's how your body works. And I remember um learning like a, an analogy for it, like when you're underwater and you have to hold your breath for a long time, for more than you normally would, that first breath you take is massive and it compensates and you probably take in much more air into your lungs than you need to but in preparation for if you are deprived of oxygen again for longer than you thought and learning that overeating when you feel that lack of control it's not your fault you're not weak because you can't control it it's biological it's how we're how we're made it's how our mind works yeah yeah it's a totally normal physiological response yeah. to restriction. Sorry, physiological. Totally That's normal. the word I was looking for. Physiological. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so like there's nothing, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It's, there's act, it's actually a sign that your body is working exactly as it should. But the problem is the diet culture has taken emotional eating and created it or constructed this idea that it's this big demon that we have to you know slay and get rid of and we can never get rid of emotional eating it's it's part of being a human being right food is soothing um so if we can just like let go of that idea of fully um you know never emotional eating again no we're just want to get in control of it more um, and part of that is honoring your body's needs, which is removing the restriction and giving your body the um, the food that it needs, the nourishment that it needs. Yeah. And then I'm just conscious of our, our time. And I wanted to ask you when, when we have done that. So when we do the breakfast, lunch and dinner and we, we give ourselves the physical, the food that we need, how do, how do we define what we need emotionally? So if I'm overeating, emotionally but I'm not sure what it is that I need because figuring that out can be kind of tricky to Mm -hmm. to know okay I know I need something but but what is that yeah your emotions are key here so so important they are going to be your guiding light so back to the journaling mm-hmm. <laughs> and therapy we firstly need to get an understanding as to what our emotions are so labeling our emotions and this is always the first step and this as i said can be challenging in and of itself then we can ask ourselves what message are my emotions trying to tell me now this takes a little bit of practice this takes a little bit of trial and error. Um, it might take a lot of journaling to try and figure this out. But um, as an example, actually, perfect example, I'm going to use myself here. Um, a few years ago, I was um, multitasking something serious. <laughs> <laughs> I was juggling lots of balls, right? And um, I started doing a little check-in every day. And I realized that there was this constant feeling of stress, restlessness, frustration. And it was a real pattern. So it was coming up nearly daily in my journal entries. 
And when I say my journal entries, it was super simple. It was nothing major. It was, how am I feeling today? Frustrated. Right. How am I feeling today? Angry. Right. So it was all these, these, these activated emotions. And when I saw this pattern evolving, I kind of had to sit back and go, what is the source of this frustration? What is it that's making me really frustrated? And for me at that time, it was that I was overwhelmed. I had too much on my plate. I was resentful because I couldn't spend time with my friends. I couldn't spend time with myself. Um, I couldn't engage in things that make me feel good as much as I would like to. So, you know, cooking healthy meals every night or going to my own class a few times a week. Um, and the reason for the overwhelm, for the frustration, for the anger was because I had too much on my plate and something needed to go. It was the only way that I was going to feel better and be able to engage in the things that made me feel good, which was the food, the yoga, the time alone. Um, so that led me to dropping one of those balls and just let, and I had to let it go, which I'm often not very good at doing. I like to do all of the things at once. It's just my personality. So through that process, I'm learning, okay, so I, I do te my tendency it's not that I am that kind of person, but my tendency is to say yes to everything. And I need to begin to learn to say no to more things and to really check in with myself. And if that's going to overwhelm me or take away things that are really important to me. So that's just an example of how starting with the emotion and enlisting some compassionate inquiry and curiosity can get you to the thing it is that you need yeah and I love that you're all I always find as well I am always met with some resistance mm. when you have to give up the thing or you have to because right with everything in order to do to do one thing we have to take away something else like there's always a compensation and a trading of time and sometimes or a lot of the times it will be something that you don't really want to do but I love I and mean, I've been using it a lot recently where it's like okay what would my future self thank me for so like when I met mm. with that resistance when when I've identified what it is that I need and I'm like shit I don't want to do that I'm like I know. I know you don't want to do it but what would your future self thank you for because I I try and just reflect backwards then and be like okay I'm glad I did this or what could I do to make it to have made it better and I'm finding that that inquiry and reflection really helpful to identify little things even things with food where okay how could I have made today better I could have had a bigger breakfast and I wouldn't have been in the press at 11 o'clock and been eating the stuff yeah. if I had just had that balanced meal so yeah. I'm going I'm not going off on a tangent here but to, to just if you're listening to this to know that if you if, if you feel resistance to doing the thing you need to do that that's very normal and we we have to kind of think of our future self and what what she'll thank you for and what she needs because unfortunately it's it's part of the journey that we do have to do things that we don't necessarily want to do in the moment yeah and there's a great book called four thousand weeks oh yes it's great it's all about, yes so good it's all about time management and you know i don't want to ruin the book or anything but basically it's <laughs> spoiler like, alert it's basically like lads you can't do everything just give it up like it's literally that that that's literally the message of the book um yeah. it's a, an amazing book very philosophical if you're interested in this um or you're struggling with your to-do list I uh, highly recommend um but there are life is a series of choices and we are presented with choices at every fork in the road and each choice will bring us down a different path but we can't do everything we have one life. It's impossible. There are, there are, you know, hundreds and thousands of little paths that we can go down. It's just not possible to go down them all. And every time we make a choice, we gain something and we lose something. And as long as we check in with whether that choice that we're making, we're, we're more connected with what we are going to gain and what we gain is more important than what we lose then you're on the right path. But it's okay to feel that sense of loss or you know, grief or sadness about letting that thing go. But know that when we let things go, 
other greater things open to us, right? And we cannot hold on to every single little rock and put in our backpack just because we feel safer with all those little rocks. We have to let them go. They're going to end up weighing us down eventually. Oh, so much. And I was listening to Martha Beck, her podcast um, Mm -hmm. during the week, and she was only talking about um, how she approaches things like this. And she has this like no lie policy to herself. So she, she, she is how she calls herself out on doing the right thing for her or the the thing that she thinks everyone thinks she should do. And she, Mm -hmm. whenever she has to make a decision, she stops and she says, if I do this, is this truthful to myself or am I lying to myself? And you know, when you come back in and you like your intuition, your inner voice, you can feel the right thing to do. And on top of it, you have that kind of dialogue where where your mind is like, I know, don't let's not do this. But she, she, I just loved how she approached it. Almost like following, like playing hot and cold. So like, if I make this decision, am I getting warmer or colder to what's right for me? And Mm -hmm. I thought it was lovely. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good. I love that. Because there is going to be a bit of resistance when we're, you know, change is hard. Mm. Transformation is really, really difficult. Mm. And discomfort is a normal and expected part of the process. Yeah. Oh, and I, before we finish up, I've asked, we've talked, I, I think I know your tool, but um, I love to ask everyone that comes on, as someone, you run your own business, you have a lot of things going on. What is your favorite thing to do at this place in your life to kind of reconnect with yourself and slow down? Yoga. Yoga. <laughs> you probably knew that already, yeah. but like yoga is, yoga is a huge part of my life. It, I often call yoga my calm that can weather any storm. And my mat is my safe place. Um, it has literally transformed my life in so many ways. And yeah, everyone, do yoga (laughs) Neve where can we find you if anyone here wants to work with you or you also have your own podcast um guys which is filled with information around food and body image and relationship with food um yeah so you I'm uh, I'm the only Neve Arbinsky in the world so if you google me (laughs) if you google me I will come up straight away um I can't hide unfortunately um as much as I would like to sometimes um you will also find me on Instagram at nutrition with Neve you'll find me on my website at uh, nutritionwithneve.com and my podcast is called food body and beyond and yeah I share a lot about intuitive eating relationship with food body image um so if anyone is struggling with any of these things we've spoken about today you'll find a lot more information on the podcast Neve thank you so much no problem thanks for having me